0: You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. Good morning. I heard a number. (laughs) There it is. If you have a Bible with you, I'd like to encourage you to open. Read along with us in Revelation chapter 7 have that Bible handy we might look at a couple of different passages so I'm going to begin just by reading so we kind of get our bearings and know where we are and I'm going to start just a little bit early in verse uh, back in verse two we read here the apostle John writes this and I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun holding the seal of the living God and he called out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm The earth and the sea, saying, "Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bond servants of our God on their foreheads." And I heard the number of those who were sealed: one hundred and forty-four thousand sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, twelve thousand were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, twelve thousand 12,000 were sealed. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. I know many of us, when we read our Bible, it's passages like this that give us a little bit of pause and of difficulty. There have been many times I'm sure you've experienced taking on maybe the beginning of the year uh, reading plan through the Bible, and then you come upon places like the Book of Numbers, where all of a sudden you're reading about this many people and this many people and this many people and this many people, and many people, and, and you start to scratch your head, like, "What am I looking at? <laughs> what is happening here?" And I think th- that's that's a normal response for us, especially. But it's my hope this morning that as we spend a little bit of time looking at this particular passage in this particular way, all of us might gain a little bit more appreciation for for what how God has communicated to us in his word. The way that he's communicated, and particularly his his faithfulness in his word. And so as we spend time together, I know that this is a, a surprising place for us to spend some time in a few verses. But I think it'll be a good, it's going to be a good thing for us to think just specifically about what is it that we see here in a passage like this that God wants to, to tell his church today here in the year 2022. So what is it? What's happening here? Well, I'm not going to give you all the answers. Spoiler alert, because I don't know all of the answers. So I'll just lead with that and tell you right off the bat. But there are a few things that we want to definitely say kind of right off the bat. What is, this, what is this number? John says, I've heard this number. And then in verse 9, he's going to say, I saw a great multitude. This hearing and this seeing of this combined vision of this week and next week. These multitudes that God is at work in are communicating something to us. We don't want to see this passage as some have I want to say it right up front, as a a total number of those who will be saved. There there are those who have taught, uh, Jehovah's Witness in particular, but others who have tried to say that that this number is a literal 144,000 people, and that's all of the people that are going to be saved. Once you hit that number, it caps out, and then other people start dropping off. They don't go to heaven anymore. We can see the immediate following verses, this great multitude that cannot be numbered praising God and seeing him for who he is. There are so many places in scripture that tell us about this great number of people who are following God. And so to try to reduce the total number of the saved to just this number doesn't make any sense. And so we wanna say that right off the bat. The other things that we begin doing, and I've already had a number of conversations with people this week, knowing that we were looking at this text as we start to dig into it. What, oh, is, this a, is this a literal 144,000 people? Is, are these Jews that are saved in the last days? What sort of thing does it mean to be sealed? What's happening in all these? I think we'll see a little bit of clarification on those things. But I think if we're, if we're stuck on trying to determine those sorts of questions, we miss the sorts of things that God is trying to tell us. There's a, uh, there's a principle, there's, a, there's a, uh, a tool, there's a concept in music. It's called the ostinato. I don't know if anyone would know what this is. An ostinato in music is a repeating melody that gives the whole song a kind of rhythm. You know this at like a Christmas, the Carol of the Bells, da 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 that moving, right? You hear that, and it just keeps going and moves the entire song forward. One of my favorite examples of this, I was talking with some other folks yesterday about this, is found in the Star Wars movies. I get to be both a Bible nerd and a Star Wars nerd this morning. We're going to do this. Maybe not the best movie, but arguably one of the best pieces of music that John Williams has ever written, the composer for the Star Wars movies, is a song called The Duel of the Fates, and it was written for episode one when they re-released, when they restarted the movies in the late 90s. And it has this, uh, it has this theme that that repeats itself. Anybody know it? There you go. (laughs) It just keeps going and it's fast. It is a wicked fast piece of music. It starts out and then it just does not let go. And if you're listening to the whole song, you actually lose the the, the you don't hear that that ostinato anymore. What you start to hear is these choral voices screaming. It's so loud and the horns are doing this and they're all over the place and you almost can't even hear the rhythm anymore. And then all of a sudden it stops. And then you just hear it again. And that ostinato, that that principle, that's what's happening here. I want to suggest to you that just like that orchestral music, Revelation is working like that. Back in in chapter 6, these seals of war and famine and death and martyrs, the horns are blaring, the choir is singing, everything is so loud. And then last week we heard an interlude, a pause. And then here we're beginning to hear the theme. Reminding us what it is that God is doing in this whole book. It's this quiet, repetitive reminder of the faithfulness of God. It gives this momentum to everything that's happening. And church, I think we need this. I think we need a reminder of the momentum of what God is up to. Because in so many different ways, we can become stagnant. We can become complacent. Our Bible reading can become dry. We can become tired with things of the faith. Tired of getting up for church on a Sunday. But there is this plan that God has set about, that we heard about already in Ephesians and we'll think about more this morning, that he has already, before time began, decided exactly how this thing is gonna play out. And he, church, brothers and sisters, he included you in that plan. You and I should be caught up in that tidal wave of what he is doing in the world. And we wanna be able to hear that, what he is up to. And so there are just a couple of things, and this might end up being a short sermon this morning, and that's, that's totally fine. It's my hope that what we hear is this, this, this steady beat, this steady rhythm that reminds us what this book is all about and what life is all about. So I'm going to give you two parts of this rhythm. And, and the first part is going to be kind of broken up into a, into a part one and part two. So we get a three-point sermon, but we get it as like a 1A and B and then, a, and then a 2, okay? So mix it up. Watch out. What do we see here? What is this momentum? What is this rhythm? First of all, it's this. God is always faithful to protect and preserve his people. God is always faithful to protect and preserve his people. You know, we can see this all through the Bible. The first way that we see it is that God was faithful to Israel. And that's one of the reasons I think that this passage is the way that it is. Some of, some of the commentators will, will try to say that, well, this has to be uh, this particular way because, because God is being faithful to Israel and, and we're comparing the one to the other. And, and why, if this includes the church, why would, this, uh, why would it specifically talk about Israel? And one of the things that we need to hear, no matter how exactly we take that, is that this is reassure, a reassurance of God's faithfulness to his people. God did not forget his promises to Abraham, ever not for a minute. He called Abraham out of the place where he was, called him into a new land, saying that he would make a people out of him. And through him, all of the nations of the world would be blessed. And that finds its fulfillment then in Jesus. God is faithful to Israel. The Bible does not take shortcuts. You and I are fond of shortcuts, right? Give me, give me just, give me the answer. Tell me, tell me what the answer is. Uh, we, have a, we have a conversation back and forth. I need to know this piece of information. Especially, I think, I think uh, not to stereotype too much, but I feel like, guys, maybe do this a little bit more. Like, just give me, the, give me the end of it. Be done with it. But God doesn't do that. Instead, God is faithful to Israel throughout. And rather than just jumping to uh, this, I'm going to make a promise, and then all of a sudden, here's Jesus, we get this entire book in the middle. And it's a story. It tells us about people who, who rebel against God again and again and again, and a God who is faithful to them again and again and again. And even when it comes to the end, it's not gonna say, we'll just throw out all that like it didn't matter. It's gonna say, no, I'm rescuing a people from here, from these folks, folks who, who rebelled, folks who were against me, And so when Jesus came, he didn't just come giving simple answers. He he took on flesh. He entered history in a particular time, and a particular place. He identified with the struggles of particular people. We have to see that God is faithful to the very first promises that he's made. He will always bring his people through. You know, one way that that we are tempted to not be like God in this way is that sometimes we really want to bring quick fixes to the problems of people's lives. We want to just drop an answer in and say, well, uh, here here you go. Here's a couple of verses. I think a big one that people learn early on as a difficult period in life is, is with the loss of a loved one. There's a kind of grief that goes along with that. And there's no simple, answer. There's no simple, you can know all of the truth and it doesn't make the hurt go away or be any less. The Bible doesn't just present Jesus as a shortcut. He walks through all of the difficulty and the messiness and the consequences of sin. I think of a place like Psalm 88 which I think we mentioned last week in ABF, which is one of the only Psalms that doesn't turn around and and turn positive at the end. Most of them turn to praise, but not Psalm 88. It leaves us with, Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? Or you can read the book of Judges. Landing at the end of the book of Judges, if you've ever read and made it that far through the Bible, what you find is people rebelling against God, uh, cutting up, Others, and what we find in the last verse is, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And did God just drop in and fix it right there? No. There are moments, there are prophets, there are reminders. And then there's Jesus himself walking among his people being a part of them, feeling their pain, feeling their struggle. That's what God did. This text doesn't shortcut. It doesn't jump to the end. It reminds us that God was with Israel all along. And he is faithful to those promises, to those people. And he's faithful faithful to us as well. He meets them with all of their history and foibles and brokenness, and it's the same for us too. I think another place and another way that we see this sometimes is uh, parents trying to relate to the struggles of young people. Because it's tempting to just say, well, it won't matter so much when you're older or something like that. But those, those are minimizing. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that someone's not experiencing something difficult with friends or with other struggles. Other things with school or other difficulties of, of life growing up. Instead, what God calls us to do is to, to meet them where they are. To take the hurt seriously. To take what's happening seriously. Brothers and sisters, you and I should not be surprised when we feel the weight of the consequences of living in a fallen world. You will feel the weight of the consequences of living in a fallen world. God has not said that he will remove it all, but he has promised that he will bring us through. He is faithful. Part 1b kind of gives us a a reminder that he's, he's faithful to preserve his people More broadly, in other words, God's pattern is faithfulness. So we see God is always faithful to protect and preserve his people. And in particular, God's pattern is faithfulness. We can see this all throughout the story of the Bible. Let's look for a moment. Let's just let's let's look back and see some an old testament example. If you have your Bible with you, I didn't put it on the screen, so you're going to have to have a Bible with you if you want to read it. Ezekiel 9. Ezekiel chapter 9. You think Revelation 7 was rough. Let's read this one. Then he cried out in my presence with a loud voice, saying, Come forward, you executioners of the city, each with his weapon of destruction in his hand. And behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate with faces north, each with his smashing weapon in his hand. And among them was one man clothed in linen with a scribe's kit at his waist. And they came in and stood beside the bronze altar. Then the glory of the God of Israel ascended from the cherub on which it had been to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed in linen at whose waist was the scribe's kit. And the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and make a mark on the foreheads of the people who groan and sigh over all the abominations which are being committed in its midst. See why we're reading this? But to the others, he said in my presence, go through the city after him and strike. Do not let your eye have pity and do not spare. Utterly kill old men and young men, female virgins, little children and women, but do not touch any person on whom is the mark. And you shall start from my sanctuary. So they started with the elders who were before the temple. He also said to them, defile the temple and fill the courtyards with the dead. Go out. So they went out and struck and killed the people in the city. And as they were striking the people, I alone was left. I fell on my face and I cried out saying, Oh Lord God, are you going to destroy the entire remnant of Israel by pouring out your wrath on Jerusalem? Then he said to me, The guilt of the house of Israel and Judah is very, very great. The land is filled with blood and the city is full of perversion. For they say the Lord has abandoned the land. The Lord does not see. But as for me, my eye will have no pity nor will I spare, but I will bring their conduct upon their heads. And behold, the man clothed in linen at whose waist was the scribe's kit reported saying, I have done just as you commanded me. This is one of these examples of how the book of Revelation is is constantly grabbing pictures from the Old Testament and bringing them forward into this time to think about. What we see here is this example of these these six figures coming. This destruction that's being brought upon the people. And yet, God has said, no, there will be those who will be sealed and they will be protected from what's coming. All through we see Uh, The Bible, if you you pay attention in your reading, you'll notice there are these patterns of the coming destruction and then those are being rescued, who are being rescued from it, right? You can think of, of Noah being brought through destruction. You can think of Jacob. You think of Moses as a baby, of the people of Israel and the exodus at Passover, of the plagues that happened in the wilderness, of the house of Rahab, how she, her house was protected from the destruction of Jericho. These people in the time of Ezekiel, Daniel's friends being brought through the furnace protected, Jesus and the slaughter of the other children, he was brought out safely into Egypt again and again and again and again. Do you hear the rhythm, giving the momentum? This text doesn't just say sometime in the future, God will be faithful to somebody. It may well be that there's a literal 144,000 going to be protected somewhere down the road. But if we're focused on that, we miss the big picture that God is always protecting his people. Again and again and again. At times, the music and everything, the troubles is so loud, you can't hear the repeating rhythm. But here you can see it. This rhythm is constant. God is faithful to protect and preserve his people. And again, we can get so caught up in the numbers. Do we we think it's, what if it's 144,001? Is God lying? Is it wrong? Is that not? (laughs) Listen instead to what's happening here. He is saying that this is the perfect and complete number. Do you hear that? That means there's not one who is missing. You think of an example of Jesus, for instance, telling the parable of the the shepherd who has 100 sheep, and he leaves the 99 to go and rescue one. Because the number will be the exact number that it needs to be. Do you hear that about our God? That is our God who is is faithful to save and rescue us. Not just sometime in the future. He is faithful. Even now and for us. These numbers are rounded numbers They're perfect numbers reminding us that God will not lose one. To the praise of the glory of his grace, we just read in Ephesians 1, right? He has these people marked out and he will not lose one. You know, it seems, I don't know if it's true or not, it seems that that culture is is shifting in ways that it just hasn't before, and that we may really be entering a time when being a Christian isn't just such a, a isn't just a weird alternative, but is really something that people more and more hate, and will not stand for. What will be our response? I don't think we need to to turn into to culture warriors fighting and and bickering. We have a God who's faithful. We have a God who will protect and preserve his people. And we can sometimes try to own God's plan and say, well, well, what's going to happen? We're going to lose what we had. Things aren't going to be the way that I thought they were going to be. I I expected this is how my life was going to be. I expected that my kid's life was going to look like this. And maybe it won't. But God is not surprised. God is faithful. He is faithful. He is protecting those who are his. And it can be tempting to to hear this and think of this and worry about whether it, it should apply to us. Maybe you feel like we should do better. Like I'm not a good enough Christian. I think we need to hear the message here of this picture of being sealed. These folks are sealed. They're protected. God will preserve them. And did you hear when we read Ephesians 1? Because that's true of every one of us. The Holy Spirit has sealed you that guarantees that you will make it through. One of my favorite historical pictures of this, this idea of sealing is a, is a man by the name, and I'll probably butcher the name, I'm, I'm so sorry, Chiuni Sugihara. And here's the thing with him. He lived in, in Japan during World War II. And it was his job, he wasn't a warrior. What he did was he was a clerk who who wrote uh, visas and he allowed people to get out of the country. And the, the, uh, the country shut down on people leaving and there were Jews and others who needed to be able to get out. And so what you can find here, you can read from this article about him, it says this, day and night he wrote visas. He issued as many visas in a day as would normally be issued in a month. His wife, Yukiko, massaged his hands at night, aching from the constant effort. When Japan finally closed down the embassy in September of 1940, he took the stationery with him and continued to write visas that had no legal standing. But they worked because of the seal of the government and because of his name. At least 6,000 visas were issued for people to travel through Japan, to other destinations. And in many cases, entire families traveled on a single visa. It's been estimated that over 40,000 people are alive today because of this one man. With the consulate closed, Sugihara had to leave. So he gave the consulate stamp to a refugee to forge more visas. And he literally threw visas out of the train window to refugees on the platform how are these people making it out? It was because they had that stamp. They had that seal. They had his name on it, and that carried weight. That's just a small picture of the sort of thing that you and I have. We have the very seal of God The Holy Spirit has has protected us and preserved us so that we can get through this wicked world that is perishing and, and is passing away, we're told, onto something greater that God has planned. And it is guaranteed that you and I will make it through, not on the strength of what we did, not on the strength of us, but on the strength of his name and his seal. That's the hope that we have. And all the places where fear hits us. Where we feel like we don't know if we're doing the right thing. Maybe there are things that God is calling us to, but we're worried about it. I like the way one man puts it, and I think it's exactly true. You and I, we are immortal until the day that God decides we are done on this earth. He protects us. It's both this eternal, we have the hope of what he'll do, and it's also this right now. Nothing can touch you until he decides it's time. That should give us a confidence to do the things that he has called us to do. To walk into the hard places. To be the people that he's called us to be. Well, the second thing that we can see in this text is that everything is reordered around Christ. Everything has been reordered around Christ. In the Old Testament, of course, people didn't know the name Jesus, and they knew Joshua, which is the same name. But they didn't know Jesus Christ as we know him. But at the same time, the faithfulness of God, his promises they were able to hold to, and there's something, there are some interesting things that happen here in these verses. The list is, is not like any other list of Israel in the Old Testament. There are, there are tribes missing. So, like Dan would usually be in a list like this. Levi might not be in a list like this. Dan, where did Dan go? We don't, we don't know exactly. Most scholars tend to tend to agree that Dan was probably omitted because it was connected with idolatry. We can read that in, in Judges where Dan had migrated to the north and they set up for themselves the graven image. Dan later became one of the two great shrines in the northern kingdom in, in 1 Kings 12. So m- more than likely, most folks agree that that's the reason that Dan is not there. We notice that there are things that are different. This isn't quite Israel the way that it was. But the bigger changes are things like the head of the list. Did you see, notice who it started with? Anytime you read a list like this in the Old Testament, it starts with Reuben because he was born first. But this doesn't start with Reuben. It starts with Judah. And if you're a careful reader of your Bible, you'll know why it starts with Judah. That's where the kings came from. That was the tribe that Jesus was descended from. This list has been moved around and reshaped Because everything has been reshaped according to Jesus. One of the things we said at the beginning of our study of the book of Revelation, we read in the opening verses, is that this this book, this revelation, is is a revelation of Jesus Christ. If we get too into the weeds thinking about, this is a revelation of the future things that are going to happen, this is a code book, this is all of that, we miss that this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And this is Israel, reoriented and reconfigured around Jesus. You remember when Jesus came, he did become uh, one of the people of Israel. But he also did something striking. How many disciples did he pick? Twelve. Why twelve? There were twelve sons of Israel. In so many ways, Jesus was was rebuilding and restarting Israel the right way. Jesus went into the wilderness facing temptation like Adam did, but succeeding this time where all others had failed. And then, just like Jacob was called, like Abraham was called, like those patriarchs were called to have this unique relationship with God and everyone failed and failed and failed again, Jesus comes and he succeeds and he chooses 12 and he rebuilds Israel around himself. And we see in so many places in Revelation where we have this number, 12 and 12. We have 12,000, 12,000, 12,000, right? It's 12 12s. This is the fullness of God's people. It is Israel, those who trust in God and His promises in Jesus Christ. And it is the church, those who trust in Jesus and His promises. And we realize that while we are tempted to divide those up, that's the same thing. It is one people under God. We can't uh, limit or divide these things. Instead, we want to see here the same thing that we just read in Ephesians chapter one. And I want to just reread that verse. As soon as I find it. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure in verse nine. Which he set forth in him regarding his plan of the fullness of the times to bring all things together in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. Do you hear that? Bring all things together. Sum all things up, some translations say. That is, every single part of the created universe, the things in the heavens and the things on earth, all belong to Jesus Christ. When he stepped foot on the earth, he reconfigured the entire world around himself in a new way. That's what's happened here. We're reading and Everyone's trying to figure out what's, why are the tribes different? Why does this look like this? Everything has changed because of Jesus. Does that show in your life? Has everything changed because of Jesus? We've been talking in ABF about the sorts of things that that you and I tend to turn to when trying to make sense of our lives. We look about at at the end of the day at our performances, our achievements. What do we do? What do we get done? What do we accomplish? At the end of the day, that should not be what we look at. We should be looking to the faithfulness of God. It isn't because of what we do or what we have done. It is because of God and his faithfulness. Everything belongs to Jesus. And God is faithful to his people again and again and again and again. Do you hear that this morning? God is faithful to you. And I pray that if you're here this morning and you've never heard that, you've never believed that, that this would be the day that you would trust Christ, recognizing that you only bring sin and brokenness to the picture, but that Jesus brings righteousness. He died your death for you to give you hope, to give you a guarantee of his protection. That he will bring you out of darkness and into marvelous light. So it's my prayer that we will hear the faithfulness of God this morning. That these patterns, that this rhythm again and again and again of God being faithful will resonate in our lives. And that you and I will walk out of here with the momentum that comes from the faithfulness of God. Let's pray. My Father, this morning, we thank you for your word. We thank you even for the places where we're not quite sure what to make of it all the time. I pray that you'll help us to continue to strive to know you better, to hear the truth that you want us to hear. God, I pray that we would not leave this place unchanged, Help us to know what you would have us do and to walk in the way that you would have us walk. We thank you, God, for your faithfulness again and again and again. Help us to live knowing that you are a faithful God. Help us to live knowing that all things have been reordered around Jesus and there is nothing that doesn't belong to him. And really, in him, there's nothing that doesn't belong to us. Give us the confidence that you have by giving, given us by giving, by giving us Jesus. We thank you again for your faithfulness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>